Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. you so much for listening. I'm excited about this episode because it is a conversation with my high school art teacher, Jeannie Siegler. She made such a positive impact in my life, and I can't wait to share her story with you. Do you have an art teacher who helped you through hard times or opened your eyes to new ideas or materials? If you do, think of them while you listen. And before we get to our conversation, I want to share our featured artist this week. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here, as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. This week's featured artist is Nicole Foran. Nicole is a mixed-media artist and educator based out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Her work investigates memory, moral reasoning, and identity. Nicole's work is exhibited internationally and was recently featured in solo exhibitions in Wyoming and Philadelphia. In 2020, her work was featured in solo and small group exhibitions at the Maury Family Gallery in Michigan, the University of Mobile in Alabama, and the James May Gallery in Wisconsin. Here's an excerpt of her artist's statement. The theory of quantum mechanics suggests that all possible outcomes deriving from every circumstance are carried out within their own distinct universes. Physicist Brian Greene describes these universes as numerous slabs floating in a higher dimensional space, much like a slice of bread within a grander cosmic loaf. This series is a visual exploration of collisions within the multiverse, where parallel lives are fleetingly merged into one. Memories and formative experiences are slammed together in cyclical layers, revealing unseen and imagined narratives. And we're sharing Nicole's work on our website at teachingartistpodcast.com slash featured artist, and also on our Instagram, so keep an eye out for her work there. If you would like to submit your work to be featured, you can do that on our site at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. So as I said, Jeannie Siegler was my high school art teacher. We reconnected a few years ago, and she has shown the same generosity that she always embodied. She was one of those teachers that made me want to teach— and now remains a mentor just so full of encouragement. I loved getting to know more about her background in this episode. Jeannie began her teaching career through the Peace Corps in Sierra Leone, then taught in Washington, D.C. public schools, including Western High School, which later became Duke Ellington School of the Arts. She spent time teaching on the Rosebud Sioux Reservation in South Dakota before settling just outside Missoula, Montana, where we first met as teacher and student. 
She spoke about her experience on the school support team for the state of Montana and how seeing the inner workings of many schools and districts, along with the political mechanics surrounding them, really helped her understand the complexity of the issues in education. Jeannie offered advice for teachers and shared her own challenges. We talked about setting up dark rooms in our basements, connections between science and art, and finding time for art making. I loved getting to chat with Jeannie and share her wisdom and spirit with you. Let's hear from Jeannie Siegler. I am talking with Jeannie Siegler, who was actually my high school art teacher. So I'm really excited to talk more. We've reconnected in the last few years and it's just been wonderful. And I actually don't know a lot of your background. Would you want to kind of walk us through what is your background? How did you get into teaching art? Well, I actually, since seventh grade had been, my mother was a single parent. So we lived next door to Wake Forest University. And so she worked there and I went to Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina, which had a very limited art program, but I did not transfer to the University of North Carolina because my main professor was from UNC. So that was a different experience. But I also had the K-12 certification at that Mm -hmm. time and have kept that up until just the last two years. So I started out my junior year, I connected with a professor at Wake Forest and was able to participate in the Crossroads Africa program during that summer. And so I was a participant along with our Gambian counterparts in West Mm -hmm. Africa and went there to the Gambia for three months. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sparked my interest in being able to go on different programs. And of course, at that time, there weren't very many programs. The Crossroads Africa program was based in New York City. And this professor had quite a relationship with the person who was at that time the director and founder. So when I went to that and then came back to college there like the day before, after having contracted malaria, (laughs) (laughs) I, I was, I was just enthralled with doing that. So I joined the Peace Corps after that Mm -hmm. and became a Peace Corps teacher in Sierra Leone, West Africa. So Mm -hmm. that kind of launched my beginning teaching, even though I had done student teaching in all kinds of areas. And I think it was probably three different areas in my practice teaching. So that was in Raleigh, North Carolina. But in West Africa, I and another teacher were actually out of our group, the only people who were sort of somewhat trained in teaching. Mm -hmm. And so when I got there, I ended up having to teach math in the secondary school, in addition (laughs) to art, because there weren't enough math teachers Mm -hmm. or people who had had math as a priority. So I ended Mm up doing that and art, but some of our art was really quite fun. And it seems like every classroom I've ever had since then, except the one I just did the long-term sub for, I've always said, well, don't throw away your usable papers because (laughs) that's what I just really needed that. But we learned some things indigenous and then other things too that we could use materials that we could find there for too. So Mm -hmm. it was really 
really a lot of fun. Ah, that's amazing. What an experience to have. And did you feel like the students taught you a lot as well? Like I can imagine that just being really rich. Uh And a good thing was that we were trained in language. And so we could drop back and forth. And the girls that I I had, I taught at an all girls secondary school. So that would Mm -hmm. go from like our junior high through high school, seven Mm -hmm. through 12. And they came from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so they were all from different backgrounds. And a thing that was really difficult for them was to raise their school fees, because at that time, the school fees were required for attending grade school or secondary school. And that's a big thing, because people at that time made probably families one to two equivalent dollars a day. You know, it was really, that was in the late sixties through the seventies. So mm-hmm. early seventies. Yeah. But it was challenging. And the class size was quite challenging too. Mm. Like there were almost 40 girls in each class. So wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and teaching a subject that you weren't, you know, I know. completely comfortable with. <laughs> right. And I had had more, I'd had through calculus. So at that time, you know, calculus, mm-hmm. now calculus is like eighth grade or something. But at that time, and still today, the school system there, it was formerly a British colony. So mm-hmm. the school structure was based on a British model, which was, you know, you take a test at the end of these grades, and you take another test at the end of this, and then you take another test, and you make mm-hmm. sure that you can possibly apply to go on to something else, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it is really hard like that. And at that time, there was a big movement to try to get the test more accommodating to circumstances in West Africa, as opposed to East Africa. You know, every place is so different there. Mm -hmm. And so that was also, well, as Miss Sam's at the time, you are not uh, teaching us what's going to be on this test. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I, hopefully I'm teaching you to learn how to do what's going to be on that test, you know. So, uh, so that was a very challenging thing, too. Yeah, uh, that's so tricky. And then how long were you there? When did you? Almost uh, two, over two and a half years. So, okay. yeah, so I was there for a while, which I really liked. I mm-hmm. mean, and my husband now was also there, but not at the same time. He was in the mm-hmm. northern province. And we weren't married until I came back to the United States. But in teaching there, I think one of the things I really liked that I was asked to teach there, you know, for more years. And I have been back there quite a few Mm. times since in the 2000s. So, yeah. Yeah. Are there students there that you like made connections with? Yes, I have found some of them and not very many because I've asked about them, but also the house that I lived in, the Mm. person that owned that house lived in another compound at the back and I lived in the front. And so she taught in the elementary school. And Mm. then, of course, I taught in the 7 through 12. And so we would often talk about school and we we talked about everything. And Uh. then when I first came there, there was another volunteer there from Mississippi, 
a black woman who was teaching in the elementary school and she was just about to finish her time there mm-hmm. too. So we lived there together for a few months and then she left and then I continued there. So there were times that it was challenging, but living there and knowing other people who taught there, who lived in our village has quite a few memories. Yeah. And then when you came back, where did you land sort of? <laughs> yeah. Well, we did get married after I came back and we were in DC at the time, mm-hmm. Washington, DC, which is actually where my brother and sister were born. So I kind of ah. remembered that area really well. And from there, my husband was working for AT&T at the time. And so we had to move quite a bit. And mm-hmm. so within a year, I think we moved about three or four times. <laughs> so wow. It yeah. was a lot. And then we accepted a position that opened in South Dakota on the Rosebud Reservation. Mm-hmm. So we lived there for about five years. And, and wow. they, some of them have written and said, well, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing fine. And this oh. is what I'm doing now. And and uh, it just has worked out really good. Yeah, uh, I really treasure that. We've been, uh, the last time I went to Sierra Leone in West Africa was in 2017. So I visited the, the descendants of the people that mm. own my house and still live there. And wow. it was really quite nice. Yeah, amazing. Did you feel like there was, like there were connections or similarities between your time in Africa and then coming to teach on the reservation? Uh, there were or big yeah. differences too. Yeah, there were yeah. big differences too. Yes, the whole situation there was quite different. And mm. survival, well, in West Africa, you probably knew that in Sierra Leone, there had been a terrible war that spilled over from Liberia. So mm-hmm. many people died in that and had to flee all over. Things were burned up. My school was burned up and mm-hmm. rebel forces staged shootouts and stuff in those places. And it, it was really traumatic. When I first learned about that was at a program at the University of Montana. And so I just, I was just so taken back by that. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was quite emotional to go back to those places and find people who were alive, but who weren't and then ask about others and Mm. have them send word that and I've been back there several times. The principal was so good now. Mm. Presently, he's not there anymore. But so I would just try to raise some money for supplies and things for Mm. them to use. So yeah. And I went back to the school It's quite different in Rosebud now because they were trying to build a new school. It was the mm. first year that uh, Native Control School Board took over the school and there were challenging issues, but definitely a, a camaraderie with the staff and an adjustment of things that you could learn and move forward with. And at that time too, especially that was into the late seventies. So, and then we came here. (laughs) Yeah. So then your next stop was Montana. Yes. (laughs) And then were you at the same school for a long time or was it? No, at your high school, you know, I was there for 17 years. That was (laughs) But I didn't start out there because Mm -hmm. when we moved here, there were only two art jobs Mm -hmm. in the state. Wow. And I got the one at Lolo grade school. Oh, yeah. The other one was in Billings. And so I was like, well, 
are we going to move to Billings? I don't think we're going to be able to. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you were teaching elementary. Yes. Elementary. Yeah. And at the same time, I volunteered at the MAM at the Missoula Art Museum. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. So I volunteered there and then became their first education extension, you know, person there. Oh. And so I taught and did that and worked that at the same time. So mm. I really enjoyed that because I felt like the rural schools were not getting at least the basics that students were getting in Missoula. So mm. I thought that was important to expand for kids that probably didn't even know there was an art museum. So that was, you know, through the county superintendent, I was Mm -hmm. able to do more outreach work with that. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember I lived in Helena when I was younger, but Uh I remember there going to some kind of after school program at a museum. Mm -hmm. And I I don't remember all the details of it. (laughs) I was little, but just how much that made a difference. Having that connection outside of school Mm -hmm. to go in and see artwork and get taught by someone who wasn't the regular art teacher. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was really formative. Yes, it's it's a good thing. And now it's so expanded their programs and inclusion of indigenous art, contemporary art, all kinds of different things at the Missoula Art Museum. And also a wonderful thing is that through some private support that has been what's called the Montana Art Mobile. So the person, yeah, who took over the outreach education at the museum is now working at that, but they've had several different people doing it too, and have been able to take artwork to show to rural schools all over the state. And Mm. that has been a big help too. Plus they've had for quite a few years, the fifth grade art program where they immerse all the fifth grade classes in Missoula in whatever program is going on or exhibition is going on there at the museum. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so they're really immersed in a certain aspect all along. So yeah, that's amazing. And when you were teaching and running programs at the museum, was that also around the time that you had young children? Oh, yes. <laughs> how yes. was like, oh, I'm always here. curious. How, oh, was, gosh, how yes. was that? How did and you manage it? Was it was <laughs> also at the time that there was no childcare period, mm. you know, not at all. And yes, it's very challenging. And I actually had to not do it for one year in between because I couldn't get one of them enrolled in a kindergarten. Some place on the waiting list at a kindergarten in order to be able to travel to those things. So Mm. yeah, very, very challenging at the time. Yeah. Oh, the child yeah, issue, and you see that that has come up now as an important mm-hmm. issue in this pandemic, because if childcare isn't addressed and good childcare, not just somebody babysitting, you know. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, we see how huge. how much it's fallen on women to oh, absolutely. You know, sacrifice our careers even mm-hmm. more than like I feel like that's even just sort of a than- normal thing, but. <laughs> 
during the pandemic. It's yes, yeah. right. I know it seems a very normal thing for me, mm. you know, because it's just not, it was not addressed for many years. And you can see now that it really has not always been addressed. It's certainly mm-hmm. in crisis times for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm always curious because that's where I am now. It it's is. like trying oh, to hear from those who are further down that yeah. like it gets easier, right? <laughs> sometimes. In sometimes. some ways. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, you're being, you know, you are able to kind of go forth with your own work too as well, mm-hmm. which is really important. And I was always very limited for that daily. Mm. I mean, because there's just so many hours in the day. And as you probably remember in high school, I didn't want to be totally grumpy in the morning. So <laughs> I, like, I have to go to bed by nine or 10. <laughs> Well, I don't remember you ever being grumpy well, in class. Yeah, but it, it was always a concern. I did for many years have my dark room and I used to set it up like especially in Rosebud, I set it up in my bathroom. And so that was, you know, so time consuming to be able to continue that after mm. school. But I did. And I actually, because I lived in the neighborhood, some students would come over and do things at night too. And in my little bathroom. And, and I got some cameras and was able to have them use mm. cameras and develop some kind of stories for myself. Yeah. So I feel like, like it's one of the beautiful things about teaching in more of a rural setting or, you know, small town where you really get to know the kids and the whole families. And the idea of like a kid coming over to your house after school to do some art is not like that's normal. That's totally, Uh you know, I feel like here in the city, that would be very strange. Like, yes, Uh you're not going to her apartment. (laughs) I know like it. it, Yes. And it, it is, it does make a difference there. Mm-hmm. Too. I didn't mention too that back in DC, I did apply for several jobs there, but it ended up I was always called to a substitute at Western High School. Mm-hmm. And that has since been transformed into the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And those students, they used to send things because you end up going there almost every day. And they used to send books that they started making using photography in their neighborhoods and telling Mm. stories in the neighborhoods. And that was in the early 70s. So it was really a positive thing, I think. And of course, at that school now, many students in dance and literature and visual arts have gone on to do lots of things there. That's amazing to have been connected there, to have been part uh-huh. of the early, yeah, that was early really days. Early days with that, yeah. <laughs> when you talked about having the dark room in your bathroom, one of my biggest memories in high school was that you loaned me your enlarger. Yes. <laughs> and kind of helped walked me through that. And I set up a dark room uh-huh. in my basement bathroom. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. Which was like, I had come back from, I did a summer photography program, I think in between junior and senior years of high school and came back and was like, I don't, I can't do this now. Like I want a dark room. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you just like the response for that. I don't know for that response to be, Oh, you want to do this? I have some equipment and let me help you with it uh-huh. was just incredible. I feel like there's not that many teachers that would go to that length to make something happen I for a student. It's, it's, it seems to be a normal thing to do. I would say oh. <laughs> because anything that opens up some curiosity and some mm-hmm. interest in other things. And at that time, the technology for it was pretty, you know, you did black and white. And then if you wanted to eventually expand into color or, and now digitally, some of it I've kept up and some of it I have not. I updated my cameras a few years ago, but then I don't always use them as much as I should. You know, it takes big blocks of time. Yeah. As you can yeah. relate to just huge amounts of time. And now, of course, during the pandemic, traveling around is not always safe out here. Yeah. And so you were taking photos, which you were traveling to do that a little bit. I did. Mm-hmm. And I also, when I set up that dark room, though, it, well, in DC, I did it as well and then mm-hmm. moved it on out to there. But I would just do ordinary things. And we had to move. We were only there for a few months, but I was also pregnant at the time. And I took night classes in photography at the Atlanta Mm. School of Art and screen printing. So that was really interesting to me. So I didn't live so far I could bike to it. Yeah, (laughs) amazing. At night. Of course, then once there's one born, you don't have that much at night. You can only stay up so late. I mean, you're kind of up a lot at night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then I know you also did ceramics a bit. Yes. Some of that I connected with the museum too, but more of the hand-built ceramics and just Mm -hmm. that I could actually really do a little better with it. And I think I can probably still throw some pots, but I tried to help a few people who bought the material and I did not have a wheel or anything at Mm -hmm. home. So yeah, I think it's still really, and it's cathartic you know, just molding the clay, sort of like you do with your, just the textile feel of that. Yeah. It's really quite good. Yeah. Yeah. That like mushing the clay in your hands. Yeah. (laughs) And getting it working good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I happened to notice last night too, that when I was bringing up my little papers of questions and things, that there was a picture of all of us at Archie Bray. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Yes. And Archie Bray is, an, to me, it's always been kind of an inspiring place mm-hmm. because you can, there's sculptures there, there's resident artists there. And an interesting thing, when I left the high school there, your high school there in 2005, I applied and was accepted at the school support teams for the state. Mm -hmm. So for the next seven years, I did that traveling around with different teams in the state of Montana to different schools that some of them were the Rainbow Promise School funding art programs and other places. But it was so interesting that here you are in these meetings and workshops with other teachers and administrators. And I would say, well, we can add it forward. Does anybody want to go to Archie Bray? And they never heard of it. 
And I was just floored. I said, well, that's too bad. You should come. And so some of them did. And it's just such an interesting and inspiring kind of place too. And here in Missoula now, the clay studio is Mm. like that as well. And I've seen some other former students who have done tremendous work now pursuing clay and 3D and all kinds of different things. It must be incredible to see students come up like this and just where they go. It is. I think it's great though. I think it's really great. And I'm sure there's many more that I haven't seen too, but yeah. Oh, amazing. I love those connections. One thing that we talk about that I talk about here a lot is this idea of anti-racism in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in Montana, that's probably been somewhat of a challenge. And I'm curious, maybe a good way to frame it is just how it's kind of shifted over the years or how you approached it having such incredible experiences before being here that you were teaching in Uh Sierra Leone and then on Mm -hmm. a reservation and in urban school districts. Yeah. And to others. Yeah. You know, to me, it is very important, especially as students go up through junior high, especially in high school, that they, teachers and students take time to reflect on what your environment is and Mm -hmm. what your situation is and knowing how you can grow or not grow in it or the need to. And definitely there is a need to, but yeah, I think it depends too on how the administration of your school reflects things like that, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think it's very important for all teachers, but also really for art teachers to have a comfortable setting where you can express things that are coming up socially or politically, or that you can be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it's a place where students feel safe being, yes, being honest. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And being honest about themselves and their situations. And not everybody is going to, for sure. You know, and, and there's always that gap between maybe students and teachers for mm-hmm. uh, that. But I think it needs to be made aware that anti-racism is what you need to really take into consideration and see how so many stereotypes come up in just what you learn in what artists are producing or what schools are teaching. And honestly, it was really an eye-opener for me to participate those seven years in the school support teams Mm. to different schools with different teams. You were part of a different team each time. And so there was often things that you could see were systemic there and and many things that were good, but many things that need to be definitely addressed. And that's an interesting thing too, how even in a place, you know, people that maybe aren't from Montana or one of these states that's looked Mm -hmm. at as this sort of flyover state, red state, (laughs) may not know that there's so much diversity within the state, like Missoula is this little like blue dot in that red Uh state, you know, and it's a university Uh town. So Uh although it may feel more conservative than say Los Angeles, (laughs) where I am now, it's still, there's just, there's a spectrum of where these things fall. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting to see 
see the difference in the rural parts of the state. Right. And, you know, even in the high school where you attended, mm-hmm. we had some Native students, and those students often talked about how at times, you know, it was a conflict whether they would go to school where they lived or their grandparents lived, if they were their guardians, their mm-hmm. situation they came from and how they were treated. And yeah. so, you know, it, it definitely, hopefully is being brought to the forefront more. Yeah. And there's discussions made because you're never going to move forward unless you have frank and really honest discussions. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it, it's interesting too how some of those problems for students as they matured have been overcome, I think, and, and are moving forward with it, which I, mm-hmm. I think is wonderful to see. Yeah. Yeah. And have made lots of contributions mm-hmm. in art and in their own art forms. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, I think for there and not just there, but there were also issues with what looked right or what didn't, you know, or what was said right. And it just hopefully they can move forward with that. I did attend where some high school students before the pandemic had a march on climate change. So I was really glad to see some of that, you know, and then also this past year, quite a few who participated at the courthouse during the Black Mm. Lives Matter. So I think it really, it's to the forefront. Now it's important Mm -hmm. for all of us to speak up and make sure Mm -hmm. that inclusiveness is in all aspects as a part of the program. Earlier, we were talking a little bit about equity issues and mm-hmm. how I feel like almost flipping things that some of the rural communities can be very sort of closed off, but then also looking at like the equity issues that exist there where they, you know, you were saying don't have access to internet, there's right. major income gaps and Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big gaps. Just... and also not enough money in towns, you know, where mm-hmm. they could even have a center for mm-hmm. Wi-Fi or anything. So, yeah. And the dying towns, you know, people mm-hmm. leave and not coming back. And some do. There have been more now that have returned during the pandemic, but hopefully it'll be a move forward because moving backwards is not... <laughs> Could yeah. I just prolonging things that have been prolonged for way too long? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting how the pandemic has shown this light on the childcare issue that's been an issue for decades, mm-hmm. and also on this issue of access now, mm-hmm. like when yeah. a school is saying, okay, we're going to go virtual, but that's just physically not possible. The kids don't all have internet. Right. Yeah. I think that was probably for the school down here that my two sons went to was a factor in there trying to figure out a way that they could come here. It didn't have to. Some of my neighbors still continue to use remote learning, but Mm -hmm. at least the majority were. And and Mm -hmm. I think it's helped them a lot because another thing in the school support teams was as team members, we interviewed almost everyone, students, 
you know, mm -hmm. staff members, bus drivers, superintendents, all these. Things. We interviewed all of them and put it wow. in a form that placed the information as we found out about. And it hopefully helped people to talk about those things within their school environment. Mm -hmm. And there were definitely, it just exposed many inequalities and big gaps Mm. You know, in who was learning and who wasn't and why mm -hmm. and where and lots of things like that. So I thought those were really, really informative for me, you know, and you end up after you've been in this long and going to different conventions and, you know, in the state conventions and so forth, but you almost knew somebody in every school you went to, but then, mm. okay, so you would find out pretty much what was going on there. And mm. also when they went through the report before you left, it, usually it would take almost a week to do. And before you left, they would often agree that this is what we know is existing. Mm -hmm. So now how are we going to yeah, it's maybe one of those situations where they need an outside, they know what the problem is, but they mm -hmm. need someone from the outside to also outside. say, yes, that's a problem. Right. What and are we going to do? <laughs> and we, we would often come up with one, two, three recommendations and mm -hmm. then and then eventually see how that would go but you know the heads of those programs are very political they're voted mm -hmm. and so when it changes over it changes over and mm -hmm. it's not always followed through the same way yeah yeah I really appreciated that because it helped me understand how things came about in different districts and mm -hmm. the bigger districts like in Billings and Great Falls and Missoula how things happened happened there or didn't happen and then how they happened on all reservations and other four people or k-8 people small school district you know small school mm -hmm. settings in rural areas so yeah it's interesting to see sometimes it's easy to say well look at these problems let's fix it but then yeah. to realize that the fix takes all of these stakeholders who may or may not agree with you on like yes. what is the problem uh -huh. and what is the uh -huh. fix yeah, and then if those stakeholders change frequently it's yeah how do you handle that yeah, yeah it's definitely challenging and I just I watch it all the time you know mm -hmm. I probably send you too many things to have these things in it but I just I watch it because you do need to know and be aware of whether it is moving forward no matter mm -hmm. where you are whether it's a rural area or an urban area or just somewhere in between yeah, yeah someplace in between so <laughs> definitely it's interesting to know what's going on in these different places and keep track of it and, and try to figure out what can we do as individuals, mm -hmm. as teachers, mm -hmm. as we kind of move up and maybe take on higher roles within education. Yes, yeah, definitely. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference, and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show 
is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram. It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is PottsArt, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. So after I signed up to continue substituting, because it was always hard for me to ever get a substitute at the high school Mm. who knew something, you know, or at least care of the materials, because we didn't have so many materials then. Right. Still, you have to advocate for your materials even today Mm. in schools. And when I was there, I thought that if you're able to continue with some of that, just keep up with someone. So I signed up as a substitute and only unless they were really short substituted in the K age and at that time, junior high, which was my favorite Mm -hmm. area of the middle school. I always liked that. I was kind of hoping to leave the high school and go to a middle school. (laughs) Because I did even in DC, I went to the middle school that I would have attended if my parents had stayed there. Oh, amazing. So that was, and it was like many more kids there than, than it used to be. But still, I thought that that was an important thing to try to continue with some of that. But then I branched out a little bit and volunteered at the Crown of the Continent Research Center up in Glacier. So also Mm. at the same time, I um, would go up there during the May through October months. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So that was kind of a different thing, which I've always been interested in personally is the connection to science and art. So, Mm -hmm. and have tried to keep up with a little bit of that now and then. Did that inspire artwork for you? Did Yes, it yeah. did. Some of it did. Yes, for sure. Yeah. One thing I seems like I never have enough time to do is set aside time to at least draw something in the, you know, for a little while in the day. So I took my big cameras a few times, but it's a lot to lug all of that to the top of somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) To look for these things. So I I got, so I didn't carry that. I carried my phone more. So we do almost everything digitally now, but of course it stopped there the last two seasons in the pandemic, but Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And for my own artwork, I tried to incorporate some of that and start out, you know, making sure I could sort of render situations, you know, correctly, mm-hmm. and then branched out from there. And I often get criticism from my neighbors that look at things. So I don't always put them downstairs on stuff because they're, well, it doesn't look like something, you know, I'm like, well, maybe that's something as art teachers, we deal with forever that people mm-hmm. think you're an artist. If you could draw something perfectly when it doesn't have to be that, I don't know if you run into that anymore, but oh. It was often and still is for my neighbors anyway, in a rural area. Mm. 
so I try to keep up with drawing, but don't always get to it every day. But then think about it during the rest of the times and how I can expand that. So I have done a few things like that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I definitely see people wanting to see accuracy Mm -hmm. versus creative expression and right. where and, 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 and you can have both in the same yes. work, but you don't have to have both. <laughs> I know. You don't have to have them be the permanent thing. And you can mm-hmm. just expand your mind and kind of figure out other things that work with it. And so, and then of course, my last comment is always, well, you know, the camera was invented in the 1800s. So <laughs> if you want an exact image, you can do your <laughs> get that with your camera but use your camera and figure out other Mm. things and I think more and more people of course now see that a little better yeah I wonder if you said that in our classes because I've used that that's sort of something that's ringing in my head like well the uh-huh. camera was invented so like I don't need to take <laughs> I probably did uh, I, <laughs> maybe well, that's where that came from <laughs> well I still have to say that to some uh, people you know so whenever you come over you can come into my room there and go through things but yes. and I wish there were more I do have to really set aside time to try to use it like that. I have some little books that I often put ideas in, you know, and keep little things going. And then even if I have to come back to them, even over a year later or something, then I just look at it as, okay, so what could I do more with that now? Yeah, I feel like those journals and sketchbooks and even Mm -hmm. photos, all of that is you know, reference for something. And I like also hearing the idea of it's always kind of spinning around in your brain a little bit too. Uh Yeah, it is. And, and just the use of lots of different materials that Mm. you might not have tried before too, and different kinds of things that I think that's a a fun thing to to go with. But mostly I have used the drawings sort of as a base and then added other things with it. And I have added some photos with things, you know, that look kind of funny. But <laughs> like collage sort of? Yeah, yeah. Sort of collage yeah. some of them. And especially to trips that I've been on, I think that's a mm. fun thing to do too. And when you're drawing, do you draw from a photo or is it more from memory or even from like, do you bring your materials a little sketchbook outside with you and draw sometimes I have yeah and other time and I've done that with my you know as we were doing these surveys there for the center in Glacier I would also have my small little thing and I just draw in something there or and and add a little bit to it but mostly I've just kind of looked at different ways of well what could I do with this and then Mm -hmm. some things I've rejected as you know that I wouldn't really pursue I've always had an interest in abstract art so Mm -hmm. I've always thought that you know just because you can render something perfectly doesn't mean that you always have to do that. So mm-hmm. I like the idea of adding other things and making it a part of something else. And yeah, yeah. 
it seems in my life, it's all a matter of time. <laughs> and at yeah. one time, it was a matter of resources, because I didn't have enough to use a lot of different things. But yeah, and, art supplies are expensive. <laughs> so expensive, even now. The last thing that I finished was one big roll of canvas that I had gotten years ago. And I had a big last piece, which I always like to do big things, but in a small area, as you can appreciate, you can't always do big things or you have to do them outside and the weather's not always permitting here for sure. Yeah. But yeah, so I took that one up and did it out, then stretched it and then put it on and It worked. It, yeah. it was pretty fun too. That's to such a good feeling too. But yes. then you're like, now you have to go buy another roll of canvas. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to ask a former student that works at the hospital and she said that she would put it in her basement for me because um, I didn't have enough room. A place for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then you also, like you talked about the time that you have to make art, but you're also, do you, do you still have horses and you're I only have two now, but okay. Still, yes. But that, you know, all of the other things in your life take mm-hmm. so much it time. Takes, yeah, I know. Sometimes I wonder how did it take, how did school fit in there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just come oh. one, 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 got to do this, 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 and this. But yeah. you also like, remember when we first met up there in Los Angeles that you had all your plans out and I was like, oh, that is so worthwhile because if you don't have kind of a structure and a plan, mm-hmm. you'll be more and more frustrated that you don't move forward, I think. And that's, I still struggle with that, making sure I've got some, you know, okay, I want to try this, let's do that, you know, and the time, because we also have a big garden too. And we mm-hmm. always have, although before I started teaching, I had to take things to the farmer market now I've finally shrunk down to not so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it does take a lot of time and mm-hmm. and then there's always repairs and updates and mm. minimal things but still yeah raising kids <laughs> raising kids you know and my kids are out of school and then affording for them to go to school to mm. uh, back during the high school teaching days and yeah so it's it seems like it's always, and then also participating in community things that you need mm. to go to and, or be a part of and, and support. So, yeah, yeah. Always a lot. Yeah. I feel like it's helped me to set aside specific studio time and just kind of force myself to be like, this is time that you have to make art. You can't, you know, even if there's other things that, you know, need to be done, you have to somehow make them like finish them in the other time. (laughs) (laughs) And if you weren't organized, really, how could you do that? Yeah, I I couldn't, I guess I'd just be too scattered. And sometimes I feel so scattered that, Mm. you know, see, it's even something at 74. (laughs) (laughs) It's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. So I know, I think you're way ahead of the game. You're way ahead of me. Uh. Yeah, I feel sometimes I look more, more organized than I really am. (laughs) I totally rely on a calendar and sometimes I'll schedule in just for myself. Like it's a little calendar event that will pop up on my phone and be like, now is studio time. Like, 
get good. to it. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh gosh, I know I even had one pop up on my phone, but okay, it's been quite a while since you've done your language lessons. <laughs> ah, yes. So hopefully, anyway, I know it's something you struggle with all the time, but moving forward is the best. Keeping aware of all kinds of things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And would you have any sort of tips or advice that you'd want to share with young teachers, teachers that are kind of starting out or, yeah. yeah, you know, in my long-term sub there, I thought there were lots of younger teachers coming in that were so much better prepared for how to deal with their kids mm. in school and figuring out that put some of their ideas first, you know, and it's different in a lot of the subject areas that you have to cover a certain amount of things in order Mm -hmm. to, you know, know how to do other things. But it's also true in art that, and I think it's important to realize that every student is different, Mm -hmm. you know, and meet them where they are and try to work from there. I know we didn't always do that in art one, but (laughs) we learned how to do things. And then as you, if you wanted to progress with that, then, and even there, you could have a lot of leeway Mm and what to do. I just think it's, you know, like you said, particularly for art, it's a safe space for a lot Mm -hmm. of kids and it can be a very welcoming environment for them. And Mm -hmm. one that they are, which I think they should be in any class, but they and take them where they are, but also don't be judging them. You know, Mm. they all come from different backgrounds. You don't know what that is unless you're around them all the time. And Mm. so I think you, you need to take some of that into consideration. In fact, a lot of it myself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, patience. Mm -hmm. I was uh, telling my husband last night, I, sometimes I feel like my patience was used up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I know. I definitely. Don't you feel like that as well? Yeah. I feel like it's less now that I'm not just in the pandemic. I haven't been going into school and teaching in a classroom, but there were definitely days where I would teach all day and then come home and like my daughter and my husband are asking me things and I'm like, enough guys. (laughs) (laughs) Just there's no patience left. (laughs) Yeah, it's true though. You have to. A little bit, you know, it would take me about to go to Missoula or even like to Lolo and other places, it would take me a half hour to 40 minutes to get there. So Mm. the coming back was probably better as far as switching gears and then Mm. having to roll in, you know, with all the other home responsibilities too. So that helped a little bit, even though it took up more time, you know, it took another Mm -hmm. hour out of your day at the least and all. But then most other people had to do the same thing here in this state, especially in in, in urban areas. They often have to travel, you know, to get to wherever their job is. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I, my commute was about 30 minutes, which mm-hmm. is not much for, for compared here, to others yeah, there. Yes, in Los I Angeles. Know. <laughs> yes, I know. Even if you rode the train, it was mm-hmm. still 
of, you know, oh, like, yeah. time consuming and to get mm-hmm. to other places too. So certainly but, driving. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I appreciate that sort of using that as like downtime transition time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the end of the day too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the starting out in the morning <laughs> was mm-hmm. another thing. I, I was never one to stay in the teacher's lounges. I don't even think places are, uh, they have a few of them now, I guess, but you know, you don't have much time now. Everything is really packed up with mm-hmm. whatever other duties you have to do. And I was like, oh man, I think, <laughs> is this the hour is already, you know, how many hours have you already been up? And then, uh, you, you know, it's just a, it's uh, a lot. It's a, it gets to be a lot and you're, you, you have to really control your patience mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it never works to be the other way. Yeah. Something came up just in my head when you, when you were talking about the art room being sort of a safe place and a welcoming place. And I feel like a lot of times we talk about and think about that as a safe place for students who maybe struggle in other areas. And I've seen that time and again, where I have the most amazing students that then their classroom teacher tells me like, oh, like their, you know, their behavior is horrible. And, you know, just, yes, you know, uh-huh. all these that things is, that happened at your high school too. Mm. It, yes, definitely. And I guess it's just important to recognize that and give it a little space. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you can, it sometimes talk about it and mm-hmm. what's going on yeah yeah but I I also think back at, well there's some students like that but then they're maybe they're not challenged in the correct way you know figure mm-hmm. out that learning program for each one yeah it be different and the other thing it resonated for me because I was so just pushing myself really hard I wanted to be like the best student the best at everything and was really stressed out for most of high school. But the art room for me was that was also that safe place, that place where I didn't have to be stressed out, where I could just enjoy myself and do something I love to do mm-hmm. and not be so worried about grades. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I was thinking about that before we started too, about mm-hmm. how each student can kind of evaluate their own artwork. You know, to, mm-hmm. we did that some back then but you know it can become what students and other teachers think is so subjective as to how Mm -hmm. well you didn't like my artwork you know or something Mm but it does have to do with what how you use your time and have you thought about what were you trying to learn about and or Mm -hmm. what skill were you trying to and I think those things are important to think about there too because I may not like certain artworks and doesn't mean that shouldn't be something that enters into a pressure for grades and that kind of thing right often can be in other other classes too but I think some even that has been revealed in this Mm. kind of learning situation Mm -hmm. that I just admire teachers that are in and uh, think that they you know are trying a lot of them are trying to really pursue some of those fundamentals of learning that Mm -hmm. can help each person and each student Yeah. Like you said, meeting students where they are Mm -hmm. and this idea of sort of self-reflection, helping students 
move forward, starting wherever, you know, wherever they are starting. Uh And then if they're moving forward or not. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not about the product that you produce, Mm -hmm. you know, some uh, obviously people who are so-called artists have produced products that, you know, are soaring in amount now, but, uh, or not, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but still it's a journey, I think, for Mm -hmm. you as a person. And so I think that's an important thing to remember Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, absolutely. I always love the really broad questions. What are you curious about right now? Oh my gosh, all kinds of things. And I love... At one t- I did consider it one time because there was a workshop at the museum about scientific illustration, mm. but that connection between science and art, I think mm. is just a, an amazing thing to pursue. And it, when I was a little girl, I collected insects, I collected yeah. all kinds of things that I just thought were really interesting. And I had a little microscope that my mom gave me and I just would look at everything. And so I've always had a, quite a bit of curiosity. That's why I really enjoy the work at Glacier too, because there's mm-hmm. lots of things that I've learned there that unless you are exposed to them in a different way, you don't really know about. So I think that there's just a lot of things. I've always been fascinated by the ocean and, mm. all, and my mom, we never had, you know, she would take us in the car and we'd rent some place that belonged to Wake Forest and we would stay there for a week and you could just go miles and miles on the, mm. the ocean and explore, you know, find things. And so I, I guess I don't mind going by myself to things and just exploring what's going on or just mm-hmm. kind of bushwhacking learning. <laughs> what yeah. Oh, beautiful. I, I feel like uh, we need to have another call and just talk more about glacier and science and connections between yeah it is interesting it's just really really fascinating and and there you know we have so many places here that Mm -hmm. like that and I just you know then on the other hand you have to belong to your community groups that keep them that way and Mm -hmm. you know so that other people can explore with them too it's it's just really important but yeah so we used to go there and I would just spend hours, mm. you know, it's the ocean. And, and mm. my son that lived in Australia, just moved back from Australia. We went to the Great Barrier Reef and oh. I just, oh my gosh, it was just so amazing. So yeah. Did you get to, do you go scuba diving or snorkeling I went, there? I, yes, I went snorkeling oh. and we went out on a boat. And mm. it, to me, it was just fascinating. We went to Queensland and that was in 2014. And when I came back, I used to be a preliminary judge at the Wildlife Film Festival. And when mm-hmm. it was first started, and then there were some films that came up that had lots to do with climate change and, mm-hmm. and the injustice of climate change mm-hmm. on certain areas in the world and, and certainly the species and then the connection of everything. So I was just re-sparked with that (laughs) yeah because Uh. it is you know it's so important for everyone Mm -hmm. but yeah 
Yeah. And I, I feel like sometimes it takes seeing those places and really like being immersed in it to realize for some people the importance of it. I know. And it's unfortunately in recent years, it's just been made such a political issue that you just, you know, people that are outdoors, they can see what's happening, you know, Mm -hmm. and people who are growing our food and that kind of thing, you can see what's going on. So just do what you can to make that awareness forefront. But yeah, it definitely, it was really amazing to, to see some of those things and then see how people are pursuing them in film Mm -hmm. and in literature and in dance and artwork as well. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've talked about this or if we've talked about it at all, but I, for a few years was managing the art section of this website called climate change education. Oh, uh-huh. um, so connected with a bunch of artists doing work around climate change there. That was when I was in grad school, I was doing work thinking about glacier and just uh-huh. this yeah. idea that these glaciers that I walked on and saw as a kid might not be there for my kid to do the same. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, Um, it is. It's a reality mm -hmm. and there are reasons for it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's, I love this science and art connection, climate change and art connection Mm -hmm. also was, yeah. And justice justice. connected to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The idea of having this green new deal that responding to climate change doesn't have to have a negative economic impact. It can actually help people Mm -hmm. (laughs) economically as well. Yeah. Economically, physically, Mm health-wise, all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So keep at it. (laughs) Yes. All of us. (laughs) Keep at it. (laughs) Right. Oh, yes. So beautiful. And I was going to say, I was lucky enough to, I studied abroad in Australia so my, I don't I know if we, if we talked I about that either. Talk about that. I saw that and that you had been in Tasmania, mm-hmm, yeah. which was beautiful, but I did get a chance while I was there to travel up to the mainland and see the great barrier reef. And oh, good. Yeah. It was like almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I believe know. that. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I know. How did that happen? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they got to move closer, my oldest son, but I still miss going there to see. He went to Tasmania. He thought it was really amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that was what a good opportunity that was. See, you just find things and there you are. Just go for it. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. And it's, it's harder when your kids are growing up. Yeah things like that, but keep them in mind anyway, you might be able to. (laughs) Yeah. Now I've been looking for residencies that are truly family friendly. There's, there's some out there that like, yes, there's a lot that claim to be family friendly and aren't really, but there's Mm -hmm. some that like really are. Yeah. And your family structure is important too. So you have to, it's, you have to balance everything. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I have a fun, just kind of silly question. (laughs) What is your favorite food? (laughs) Probably my husband's meatballs and spaghetti. (laughs) He used to make them when we lived in Sierra Leone. So I've held Uh, him for that for all these years. (laughs) Yeah. As almost like a taste of home. Yeah, uh-huh, definitely. Uh, 
Yeah, we, we're sometimes at odds about lots of things, but <laughs> <laughs> it's good uh, to keep a better perspective, that's mm, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that was, it was always funny. I always t- say that, but I truly do mean that. Yeah, that's kind of my favorite. Mm, nice. Yeah. yeah. But and, I haven't been any place out to eat. In, <laughs> yeah, I know. We have been super careful as well. And, it is. And it's yeah. really, yeah, it's great to be able to even visually now talk about other things and, and talk to you again. Yeah, because we were the last time I was in Los Angeles then then it wasn't just a few few years ago yeah Yeah, it was a few years ago now more than two and Mm -hmm. then it's gone yeah it goes so fast everything (laughs) well just moving around to seeing people too is Mm -hmm. yeah hopefully it'll be better soon yeah yeah I wanted to give space for you to give a thank you or a shout out to anyone. If there's anybody who's like really helped you along the way. I would say my thank you is to lots of students who have shown me forward and Mm. have seen their work go forward no matter Mm. what they did. So yeah, I think that's one of the best things from almost every place mm-hmm. where I've, I've taught. Uh, yeah, I, it's I, I amazing think, to see. Mm-hmm. I just think that's one of the best rewards too. And thank yous, because mm-hmm. that gives you inspiration to keep up with that. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed that there's so much more interest in art and creativity and how you can explore different aspects and explore different media and that kind of thing. I think it's wonderful. And more people are participating now too. Mm -hmm. And more people who never got recognized are getting recognized. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to see. And I can totally see how that keeps you going, keeps you inspired. Yeah. And you have to keep focusing on that someday, mm-hmm. sometimes too. Yeah. I feel like I talk to a lot of teachers who say the spark for them becoming a teacher was either a really bad teacher that they wanted <laughs> yeah. to like, I'm not going to do that. Or Uh it was a really amazing teacher that just put them on this path and, you know, changed their lives, really. Mm -hmm. Like you can have that impact on students. I I hope so. Because I I actually, during the time frame, I I went to a huge high school, but I went to a smaller college Mm. and I never took any kind of art in high school. Mm. And some of those people have done really well too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just have pursued their interest in that. And I guess I just think it depends on what positive things you've kind of picked up on. Yeah. And try not to pick up on too many of the negative. (laughs) (laughs) Or spread too many of the negative ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel like the generosity that you show towards your students and just the way I feel like even when I was a student many years ago that you were really meeting each student where they were and saying like, oh, you know, little, little Becky, you, you have (laughs) this interest in painting. Like I got really into painting all these flowers or something at one point. And you were like, great, here's more paint. I'll give you some feedback, but like, go 
follow that what you're follow interested that. in uh-huh. yeah yeah or uh, oh you want to photograph here I have an enlarger like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that's wonderful to hear and mm-hmm. probably there's some that didn't but I just hope I that's what you build on I think and that that is so and you are so good it see you pass it on because you mm. share so many things and just the way you've done your podcast and sharing your ideas about changing times and people who are addressing changing times and I just think that's wonderful really oh. wonderful yeah <laughs> thank you and then our the last sort of thing is where can people connect with you? How can if listeners want to connect, what they how yeah. can they reach you? Well, you know my emails there, but I'm in the I was supposed to be getting a new setup for my birthday, and I haven't been able to get that done. It took me so long to even load that Lightroom section here mm. on my computer because uh. oh gosh but so I kind of put that aside so hopefully hopefully I'll have something better I can aside from emails the emails is probably the best and texting now yeah and I'm just looking is your do you still have Instagram would people be yes, able I to connect I know I realized that that oh gosh it's been a long time since I put anything on. <laughs> yes but I that have. might be an alternative too yes uh-huh yes definitely I still have a Facebook account and I've had a Twitter account as well but I've always thought that the social media could be a very positive thing so mm-hmm. I try to just look at the positive things on it because the others sometimes are overwhelming you know definitely the abuse of it and so forth but it was even something in traveling around to those schools that as groups we often said this is what you you know you can be using your social media to the advantage of oh so Mm -hmm. many things so think positively there and and sometimes that is hard to do and come back to yeah but it can be such a tool for connection Oh, absolutely. And really good connection too mm-hmm. with people all over the world. So that's, I, that was so much better. I remember, I can't remember now if you, you were in high school when I first started the landscapes project. Yeah. And yeah. our exchanges with other schools, like in Hungary and mm-hmm. in West Africa and all around, but now those things are probably, uh, it was so hard then because not everybody had the same kind of connectivity mm-hmm. and we pursued the influence of your own landscape, rural or urban, and were able to send photos and stuff like that. But it was really, really difficult at that time in the mm-hmm. late 90s to make sure that people had access to the way to do that. And I think that's easy to do now you can set up your own virtual museums and galleries and everything you know and I I just think that's wonderful yeah ways of connecting Mm -hmm. with different people and with people teaching too Mm -hmm. so so you have done a fantastic job with that connecting (laughs) thank you yeah it's been amazing how those connections can happen and across the world yeah Yeah. easily across Mm -hmm. the world because it's it's so available if you Mm -hmm. use it that way I think yeah Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, thank you so much. I I keep thank wanting you. to say thank you, Miss Siegler. Oh, no. <laughs> thank you, Jeannie. No, I go to yes to my my first name. I liked it better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I just have been honored that you even asked me for interviewing. I hope it didn't ramble on too much, but. No, I think it I was great. I enjoy it every time. We'll have to get together some more soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.